for joining Time Out with PSOA, where sports officials share their stories to help recruit, train, educate not only sports officials, but players, coaches, administrators, and fans. Through this information, we're going to help make us all better for the game. Welcome back to Time Out with PSOA, podcast created for sports officials to tell our stories, to give information to coaches, players, and fans for sharing of information and education to provide a more sporting environment for those involved in youth sports, high school sports, and college sports. Today, our topic is going to be the National Federation of High School new rules, points of emphasis, and a, a snapshot of the five positions, referee, headline judge, line judge, and umpire, and back judge, mechanics, and main focus. Back in the studio with us is the NSAA Supervisor of Football Officials, Nate Newhouse. Nate, welcome back um, to Time Out with PSOA. And what are your thoughts, feelings for this upcoming 2023 high school football season? Thanks for having me again. It's always a pleasure to be here and talk about our officials and what's in store and the new things that we are preparing for. With regards to this fall, we've got some new rules in place and one specifically that's going to be interesting to the game. And I think it could be a little clunky early until our officials get used to it and understand the purpose of the rule change. And like anything else, we're excited about a new fall. It's football season. It's a little bittersweet. Summer comes to an end, but football season starts. So something to look forward to. I, I will say this as a sports official that does multiple sports all year long. When July hits, I, I, I get ready for football and I'm excited for football. Um, so let's get started with the new rules. Uh, as Nate preluded, I, I'm going to give the new rules, but Nate was in the room when these new rules were discussed and voted on. So he's going to really give you the intent and reason behind it. Uh, the first one I love, officials. We always say we don't want to be uniform police. Players can now wear one solid color towel to absorb moisture. They do not have to be the same color for the whole entire team. They still have to be 18 to 36 inches, 18 wide, 36 long, and only one manufacturer school logo. So, Nate, take us back to those votes and the discussion. Why the change where teammates don't have to match up colors anymore? Yeah, this was a simple rule change, and as you mentioned, rules pertaining to the actual towel itself are the same. The new rule removes the restriction that if more than one individual is wearing a towel, they must be the same color. There's no reason to police that. So now multiple colors can be worn, provided the towel is legal per the logo and per the other restrictions. Hopefully this is a indication of where we're headed with adornment rules, I think we need to really address, do we need to officiate where somebody wears a sweatband above the elbow, on the calf, where somebody is wearing their, their wrist coach? Uh, obviously, now you are not allowed to wear it on your belt. Do we really need to officiate whether or not the eye black on the face is too big or too small? So I hope this is just a introduction to maybe some of the rules changing with regard to adornments. So sports officials out there, we're one step closer to being uh, less of the fashion and equipment adornment police. Next one, um, it is a rule change. It's a clarification. Um, but as we'll talk about, it does not change foul or penalty enforcement. So a player is out of bounds 
and remains out of bounds until one body part is back in bounds and no other body part is touching out of bounds. So what was the, the main learning point in the meetings this summer that you had on, on that rule? Just some clarification. As you mentioned, it doesn't change any penalty provisions related to illegal participation or any of that nature. So a, some language was just created to more clarify what is in bounds and what is out of bounds. So player's foot touches line, out of bounds. Third one, next week's podcast is about NCAA and federation rule differences. Um, and the intentional grounding was a new rule last year, and this year they expanded on the exception. Um, so it's a rule clarification where last year any offensive player was able to legally throw the ball away as long as they met all the provisions. This year, only the player that can, the only offensive player that could intentionally ground the ball is the player who possessed the ball after the snap. Um, player still has to be outside the blocking zone. The ball still has to be a legal forward pass. The ball still has to get beyond the line of scrimmage. So what was the reason um, for that additional exception of only the person who possesses the ball after the snap? Well, I think the initial intent last year was to provide the opportunity for the quarterback or the person that possesses the ball after the snap to do this. There were some issues with the six-man language, and the games are a little bit different, how you have to have an exchange before you can run and pass the ball across the line of scrimmage. And so it just took a year to then more clearly identify what the intent was a year ago to provide the quarterback or the individual that receives the ball from the snap the opportunity to ground the ball, not anybody. I, I, I will say this, um, as an official who works both high school and NCAA, anytime there's a, a rule that can be matched up to allow for clarity of what we see on TV versus what we see on Friday Night Lights is great. Now, both games have different reasons for different rules, but this is the one that matches up pretty pretty easily. So looking forward to that rule change. Um, the, the next one's kind of funny um, because most people listening to this podcast who've been around the game of football, they probably didn't even know this rule was in the rule book. Um, but an intentional pass interference is no longer a rule. Um, so th there used to be a rule where you could actually go 15 yards and an ad additional 15 yards. I always told our officials, don't be the first official to call that rule. Um, so what was the conversation on taking eliminating this rule from the rule book? Well, you mentioned that most people, officials and coaches included, didn't even know this was in the rule code for the Federation. So the Federation Rules Committee decided then, why does it need to be in the rule code? So it was eliminated to create any kind of confusion. And I really hope this year somebody doesn't forget that it's eliminated because it was brought to our attention. <laughs> and... Uh, Never see that call again. All right, so this next one is going to be the, the one that is going to be the most focused on in preseason education in our local group. It's probably going to be the one talked about the most in coaches' meetings, um, penalty enforcement on the field, and we really, really have to work together to understand it. But fouls are now at the previous spot the enforcement of the foul is not the previous spot in four situations. So there's not that all but one anymore. It's the basic spot is a previous spot for fouls by team A or B, and the run ends behind the line of scrimmage. Example, offensive holding in the backfield. Quarterback is sacked. 
the defense has the option to take the result of the play of the sack or 10-yard penalty from the previous spot. It's not going to be the sack plus 10. It's 10-yard penalty from the previous spot or defense, you could take the result of the play and decline the foul. Um, Another one will be a face mask by the defense in the backfield. So the defense gets back there, tackles the the ball carrier by the face mask, five yards behind. That's going to be a 15-yard penalty from the previous spot. So the offense doesn't lose that five yards. It's going to be 15 yards forward from their previous spot. Next one is fouls by Team A behind the line of scrimmage when the run, run ends beyond the line of scrimmage. Go back to that offensive holding. It's a seven-yard gain. We have holding five yards behind the line of scrimmage. We're going 10 yards from the line of scrimmage, not 10 yards from the actual spot of the holding. Um, third situation, foul by teammate beyond the line of scrimmage while the related run ends behind the line of scrimmage. So let's say we have a, a lineman go down illegally block below the waist on the linebacker. So that's beyond the line of scrimmage. Well, now the run ends behind. There, again, we have a sack. The defense gets to choose. Do I want the result of the play or do I want to enforce illegal block below the waist from the previous spot, which was the line of scrimmage? And then the last one follows by team A or B. When the related run ends behind the line of scrimmage and the foul took place before the change of possession. All right, so if fouls happen after the change of possession, we're going to the spot of the foul. If it's before the change of possession, we're going back to the previous spot. So I'm sure there was a lot of discussion. Um, so what was, what's the intent and the reason why there got so much support of making this rule change. There's a lot of words to really boil it down to what the genesis of this rule change was. And it was to eliminate that massive penalty enforcement against the offense for, as you mentioned, the hold behind the line of scrimmage. And it turned into a 15-yard penalty because it was enforced from the spot of the foul and not the previous spot. So when the committee listened to the coaches, listened to the officials, the people that have a vested interest in this game really wanted this rule changed, it wasn't as easy as just approving it. It took a lot of work by the subcommittee and the committee to then approve the rule and then rewrite, as you just mentioned, many of the other situations that could occur. So it really was to address one particular situation But because of the Federation rules that have basic spot, all but one situation involved, it took some words. And it can be confusing, obviously. It can be a lot to absorb. We've created a chart, penalty enforcement chart, that will be sent to all of our officials in their official's packet uh, that hopefully they carry it in their pocket when they're on the field officiating. And it is very specific about foul by team A, spot of the foul, end of the play, enforcement spot. Foul by team B, spot of the foul, end of the play, enforcement spot. We're going to have to work through this one to get comfortable with it. And those of you who follow us on on our Facebook and on our YouTube channel, um, we will create reels. We will create um, this card that Nate's talking about. So you have another way to download it, to carry it with you if you don't have it, if you lose it. 
Um, but it, it's, it's the main thing when you're in our preseason meetings, our local associations, ask the question. What if a fumble happens? What if the foul happened here before the fumble, during the fumble? Because that's where that change of possession went at the very end. It, it's very important to know, again, when did the foul occur compared to the change of possession? Um, the, the easy one is actually offensive holding in the backfield. All right, previous spot, boom, let's do it. But there are certain plays that you want to, we can't go to this new rule because the foul happened after the change of possession. The foul happened while the ball was loose. Now we got to go to loose ball enforcement. Your, your point is valid. And this chart that I'm working on, and you've helped me with it, Sean, and I appreciate that. I've also got feedback from other state associations. It's a work in progress. Uh, there's probably already two of them that have been out there. One is more specific and comprehensive than the first. And I will update the card as needed, and eventually it will be posted on the NSA website as well for people to refer to. Um, moving forward, these aren't new, but they're points of emphasis. Um, and there's two of them that we're going to talk about today. Um, one is helping the runner. All right, it, it, it is illegal to help the runner continue their advancement of the football. Um, I, I know Nate will talk a little bit about this right now, but I, I really the big thing is, Nate, you have an offense wanting to advance the football. How could they do it legally? What do they need to do? Legally, they need to push the pile. We've all seen the new NFL plays or the plays in college where the offense lightens up in a short yardage situation. They put one or two or three running backs in the backfield. They snap the ball to the quarterback. And he either keeps it or he hands it to the fullback, and then everybody behind the ball carrier shoves that individual square in the back and is making direct contact on the runner. In high school, that is illegal to do that. To keep it very clear, and we need to interpret this consistently, pushing the pile is legal beside the runner. Of course that's legal. But direct contact on the person carrying the ball, pushing, pulling, lifting that runner is not legal legal and that needs to be officiated consistently across the state and as we work scrimmages officials coaches as you're creating playbooks you know because it's a point of emphasis we're expected to call it so when you're creating that playbook when you're teaching those players officials when you are working scrimmages and if you see it that's when we need to call it that's when we need to say hey coach this is illegal this is a point of emphasis if we get on huddle film and Nate sees this, this actually reflects negatively on our crew because we're not calling it. You know, have your fullback, have your running back push outside, not on the body frame of that ball carrier. Um, the next point of emphasis really is a point of emphasis all the time, every single sport. And it's communication between coaches and officials. Um, I, I will speak from an official standpoint, officials, we have to be the role models here because we don't have the vested interest. We don't have those high-intense emotions running through our, our veins um, while we're officiating sports. Um, we have to understand it's a very emotional game for coaches, for players, and we're going to have that spontaneous reaction. Um, so number one, officials, listen first. What is the coach saying and what is... Are they either going to argue about, um, do not understand of a call or judgment? 
listen and understand. Now, once that is done, that spontaneous reaction is done with the coach. You now have to verbalize an explanation to that coach connected to a rule. Hey, coach, we have encroachment on the defense because we have the whole entire defensive end's helmet beyond the football. Now we have a rule connection. And, you know, coach, it's a, from my angle, this is what I saw. From your angle, it could have looked completely different. What you see on film is gonna, could be completely different as well. I'm just giving you the information, what we have right in front of us right now. Um, so that's the official side. Coaches who are listening, um, understand officials are just humans. And at, in the situation, in the heat of the moment, you're going to be caught up in it. Try to find whatever you can in the back of your mind of if you're at a fast food service industry and they didn't serve you properly what you exactly what you ordered, are you going to ream that fast food worker like you are that official? If your kid doesn't do a drill the way you want them to do a drill, are you going to ream that kid the same way you are reaming that official currently? Um, so with that being said, Nate, what, what is your expectation when you go out? Because I know you go out to a bunch of Friday night games. What is it that you look for with that official coach communication? What's acceptable? What's not acceptable? First, there needs to be a mutual respect and understanding that we both have a vested interest in the game and getting it right. Whether we agree on it being right or wrong is where sometimes we can get ourselves into trouble. And every human being has their own threshold of controlling their emotion. Some coaches can control their emotions and communicate better than others. Some people have a little smaller threshold and get upset a lot quicker. And unfortunately, when we have an official and a coach who have a short threshold, it leads to uncomfortable conversations. So all of us need to control our emotions, be respectful of the decisions that we make. And when we communicate, don't use too many words. Sometimes that can just be more confusing and actually create more issues. We say all the time in the officiating world, you can't quote silence. Sometimes you say things that can be confusing or can put you in an uncomfortable situation. As you mentioned, be clear and concise about what you had and why you had it. Many times the coach will not agree with your decision and you may have to just agree to disagree at that point and move on. Uh, hopefully we can, again, clear up any situation that is more contentious than it needs to be and move on. Otherwise, the game just continues to spiral out of control. And with, with that being said, officials and coaches understand when those interactions take place, everybody is watching you. We, whether you know it or not, and depending on how that interaction goes, that's how people watching the situation are going to act. So players and fans take on the personality of the coach. And if the official is doing something they're not supposed to be doing, that's going to be a reaction to the whole entire crew, not just that, uh, that official. So be positive role models. Um, share the information. I love the, the quote, we're, it is okay to agree to disagree and move on. And when film comes out, film typically does not lie. Um, that's a whole nother show and another topic. I think we also need to identify and acknowledge that these are education-based activities. And as a football coach, you're a teacher. 
you wouldn't scream and yell and use profanity in the classroom towards another teacher, towards your students. I don't think that that should be then the expectation on the football field either or any other court or contest venue. We need to keep that in mind when we discuss these issues and have conversations with coaches and officials and our players and our athletes. You know, and when we were, when I was making the outline uh, for this podcast, uh, it was brought to our attention that, hey, let's talk about something besides the new rules, besides the point of emphasis, because we're going to see that on our online video training. Every single local group we go to, that's the first topic of conversation. Um, What else should we talk about when it comes to football, fish, and get ready for the season? And what we found was, hey, let's take a look at each position, referee, line judge, headlinesman, umpire, back judge. When we have our clinics, when we have our crew meetings, what should we talk about per position? So I think I have two to three topics for each one. Um, as I go through these, Nate, um, you know, think back about what you've seen from observers, what you've seen from state championship crews that separates each position. Um, so first one, referee. Every meeting you have as a referee, you should be talking about signals. How are you communicating your crew's fouls and penalties? Be slow. Be intentional. Be clear. And yes, always practice announcing your signals, even though that stadium that Friday does not have a microphone. When you get down to Memorial Stadium, Nebraska, you are going to be mic'd up. When you go to Class A, class, many Class B schools now, you're going to be microphoned. And your words and signals is a representation of your whole entire crew. Um, so any feedback to referees out there of what the feedback that you got, this referee's under control of the game because they're just reporting and signaling? Yeah, look sharp. Look like you have prepared for the contest and that will go a long ways with developing that confidence and that rapport with not only the coaches but the spectators as well Uh, if you look confused people will notice that Mm -hmm. so you need to have some confidence and an attitude about yourself that you're in control without being arrogant and that you're willing to discuss those situations as they go along you know referees the last thing i'm going to say about signaling is um when you report a foul, it is more important the communication we give to have that foul believable than the actual judgment itself. You have to understand that responsibility you have, and it's more important to communicate what your crew has than actually the judgment of it. Um, the other topic, uh, we always encourage referees. The main call we make that makes an impact in the game is roughing the passer. Then the big word in high school federation rules is avoidable. Was that contact avoidable by the defense? Now, there's a little training education, uh, late hit. So referees, you should have a cadence, balls away, balls gone. Um, Something you're saying that the defender could hear, but after you say that statement, if they hit the passer, that contact was avoidable. Now we have a flag. Um, another one that we see, this is more of a protection thing. The high hit 
on a quarterback, on a passer. I am more likely to throw a flag, not necessarily because it was late, but it was avoidable to hit that passer high. It was avoidable to hit that passer low. Yes, it's not the specific rule of you can't hit a passer in the throwing posture at the knee. But if a coach will have a conversation with me, hey, coach, I'm going to protect your passer the same exact way I'm protecting their passer. We need these passers in the game. Um, and in my judgment, that hit was avoidable. Um, what's your thoughts on, on roughing the passer? Yeah, you make a lot of great points there. A couple other words I think that are appropriate are, was it excessive? Was it unnecessary? And what was the intent? Did it look like a football play or was it more of a shove or a pushing gesture that was more to set a a tone rather than to make a play, if that makes sense? So I think when you see it, you'll know it. I think we get into the weeds a lot about what should we call, what shouldn't we call. When in doubt, we're always going to keep safety in mind and protect our athletes, whether they're the quarterback or any position, they need to be afforded that right. And at the quarterback position, essentially they are sometimes in a very precarious situation in those throwing motions. All right, moving on to, we combined the head linesman and line judge and we called it wings because really the wings, they have very similar mechanics, very similar responsibilities in a five person crew. Number one, wing officials, Start on the sideline and remain on the sideline until that play is over. The two big reasons, when you work on the field of play during a live ball, you're going to get in the way of those players. The, the players are bigger, faster, stronger as I get older and slower. All right, so if you're off the field, th- those players aren't going to be in your way. Um, the second thing is when you get on the field, and I've seen this on film, Automatically, official gets on the field. Guess where the coaches go behind you? They move right up to the field of play, and they work their way on the field. By you staying on that sideline, you're actually going to keep those coaches back. And then the last thing is when that plays over, yes, our NSA observers and dead ball officiating, you want to get on the field of play. You have to make your presence. You have to let your umpire know what is the line that you have the forward progress of the ball. Look sharp doing that and be engaged during that time period. Um, What could you say further with those wings movements before the play and then after the play? You're exactly right. We want to control the sidelines with our presence. When we're there, that sets the tone and control of the sideline. And during the play itself, we want to work vertically up and down the field on the sideline. And then when that plays over, you stick your foot in the ground and you work into the field to help with the spot or clean up the action. We talk all the time about those wing officials. Essentially, you're always working at 90-degree angles, north and south on the north and south field while the play is happening. And when the play is over, you work to the numbers or further if needed for the spot. Exactly. The, the number one question that comes up when it comes to line of scrimmage and wings, Sean, what do you do to stay safe? When do you go downfield? When do you go in the backfield? When do you hold your ground? Um, and really, there's four subpoints because there's four different things that could happen during a normal scrimmage play. You, you, number one, you always got to know your key. If you read pass as in snap tackle, that tackle's going to pass protect. So now I know it's a pass play. Now I have to take a look at my wide receiver key. 
it, when my wide receiver key goes downfield 10 yards or more, I have to go downfield. I have to work downfield because it's a 15-yard pass, 20-yard pass. I have to be in position for that catch-no catch. If he stays within a five-yard route, I, I have a good look. I, I can see a catch-no catch five to ten yards away. So I read my tackle. I read pass. I pick up my wide receiver key. They're going more than ten yards downfield. I have to work downfield. The next situation, I read run. If I read run because my tackle is run uh, blocking, I hold my ground. If they come my way, <laughs> I retreat. I do not want to be anywhere near the sideline where, when they're trying to gain yards, gain a line to gain. Again, I'm going behind 5 to 10 yards when the run's coming my way. If the run's up the middle or if the run is opposite me, now I'm staying even with the football. Because uh, if it's opposite opposite of me, I have cross-field mechanics. If it's up the middle, I'm safe. I want to have that vision of where is the football on the forward progress. Um, so, yes, wing officials. X does not mark the spot. Every single situation is not going to be perfect. Go downfield here. Go backfield here. Stay at the line of scrimmage here. You have to get snaps. You have to get experience, and you have to watch film. Did I properly move on this type of play because uh, you have to have safety for yourself and you have to get in position for forward progress, catch, no catch. Uh, Nate, more, more on the wing officials movements of to officiate those live ball plays. Those are great points. And the only thing I would add is don't be in a hurry. Let the keys tell you what to do and then react to what you're getting and then move up and down the field appropriately work for your cross-field mechanics, and communicate with your officials. Uh, next position, umpire. Um, we have the umpire in the defensive backfield behind the linebackers, anywhere from five to eight yards. The reason for that, just so everyone knows, you don't want to be on the goal line, and you don't want to be on the line of gain. And if you always line up six yards, guess where that tight end's probably going to run their routes. All right? So you, you got to be, quote-unquote, unpredictable so those tight ends don't run where you – always start. The thing I always put on my umpires is penalty enforcement. It is the only official on the field that gets all the information from the referee. Even with O2O on crews, we wing officials don't always hear what's coming out of the referee's mouth. Umpire, you have all the information. You are responsible to get that information to the whole entire crew. Whether it's O2O, official to official headsets, or our signals that are in the Federation rulebook. Do not give up doing those signals and mechanics that's in the Federation uh, me mechanics manual. So one finger's five yards, two fingers, 10 yards, three fingers, 15 yards. If you hit your arm, that's half the distance. You are walking with the H. L is the last one to go. And do not look at each other when you're enforcing the, the, the penalty because you want all three of them to be lined up and do not put that ball down. I, I've seen it where umpires put the ball down and then, oh, my goodness, I got to move it back two yards. Perception is reality. So umpire, communicate with the wings, walk off the, the distance and confirm with your H&L before you put that football down. Um, 
what are some calls or some nightmares that you had to deal with with just penalty enforcement when it comes from coaches to you? Well, I think it's generally lack of knowledge and the penalty is completely enforced inappropriately. So it's important that we understand what the specifics are. And umpire, you are in many ways the assistant referee and you may have to clarify a situation with your referee because if one person gets it right, your crew gets. I'm sorry. If you're if one if the crew gets it wrong, you all get it wrong. So you do need to communicate that appropriately. Many times your referee may be communicating with a coach, and you as the umpire can then continue to enforce the penalty appropriately. So you're ready to go in that communication between the coach and the if the referee is over. So very important that the referee understands penalty enforcement and communicates it effectively with the rest of the crew. And then the second topic, I I know we got feedback from our observers, uh, foul threshold. First call of the game will set the expectation, and we have to, as a crew, be consistent throughout the game now. And umpires, you have to understand, you have the most judgment in a game. Offensive holding, not offensive holding. Maybe defensive holding. All right? And when you have your first offensive holding foul call, that has to set the threshold for the whole entire crew. All right, so understand, umpires, you got to have impact on the opponent and impact on the play. You're looking for grab and restrict outside the body frame. You're looking for hook and turn so the hands are outside and they turn the body. A takedown is a throwing action. Wrapping up and tackling an opponent, illegal. Where a lot of umpires I see get confused is the overpower and pancake. To the point now, defensive coaches are coaching defenders when you're falling backwards because you're being overpowered, bring them down with you. Don't be fooled by that, umpires. That's defensive holding, not offensive holding, because it's that threshold that's going to set that tone crew um, for the game. Any thoughts on, on offensive holding tips and tricks? Know your categories and don't think you have a hold. No, you have a hold or you don't have a hold. And very important. That first call of the day is going to set the tone for the remainder of the game, and it needs to be consistent. I can't promise that as much as the coaches want it that we call holding consistently in every game across the state from every week. But within the game, it must be because it's the same individuals making the call. So be consistent in, in your evaluation as you see plays. Don't be in a hurry. Process it before you throw your flag so you know what you have. All right, our last position, back judge. I cannot stress this enough. New officials, you are very important. A lot of crews will put the new officials back judge. Uh, yeah, just don't screw up back there. No, 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 no. There is so much responsibility on that back judge for flow of the game. All right, so the first one, this was a mechanic change last year. Back judges, starting position 20 yards from the line of scrimmage. High school still is not a wide-open throwing game. You have to be in a position to help dead ball officiate sideline to sideline. If you start 30, 40 yards back, you're not having the presence. 20 yards, you are starting off of the ball and show athleticism when they do throw it deep. The, the difference is now the end line. So when we're snapping uh, between the 20-yard the line, and the 10, you actually start on the end line. So you are 30 yards away. 
but you have to be able to re, uh, help come up to the goal line and still help on goal line plays. Because that line of scrimmage official starting 20 yards back, you running forward 10 is quicker than that line of scrimmage running 20. Uh, so, yes, you are starting at the end line, but when we're snapping outside the 10-yard line, you ha- still have to help out on those long run plays. But you start back there because the players are getting better at throwing to the back of the end zone. And you can't be on the back pedal to officiate that end line. So that's why you start on the end line when they're in the red zone. Red zone equals end line. What was your feedback last year from officials and other supervisors with that mechanic change or that back judge? Yep, 20-yard line, except when they're in the red zone, run the end line. It was widely accepted as a good change. It puts people in the right position to make rulings when you're not moving. We've talked about that time and time again. We're better officials when we can make a call when we're in a stationary position. When we move, our eyes move, and we see things differently. So the less we can move on the field, the better. The, the last thing, back judges, you have to own and understand the importance of is timing. If you do not like a three-hour and 30-minute high school football game, you have to have a back judge who is on top of timing. All right, so there's 60 seconds in between intervals of timeouts, whether that's after a score or that's a, after a, a coach calls a timeout. You start that 40 seconds after the play is over. So now we have a touchdown. We have the play clock going. We have a PAT field goal over. Once that ball becomes dead, you should be starting your ready ref. That 60-second interval starts right then. Uh, I I will throw my own crew underneath the bus. As I'm a referee, I start my watch, and I see my my back judge just start running onto the field to give the ball to the kicker at 90 seconds. Well, shoot, if you have 10 scores, 30 seconds each time, That's an additional five minutes, guys. When you, as a back judge, are on the field looking for the kicker at 45 seconds, you give a funny whistle, everybody's ready to play football again. That is where you keep a game at a minimum under three hours. You have to keep the timeout interval. Um, Now, minus the timeout interval we're talking about there, you also then have to keep track of the game clock. When there's a new game clock operator and they're used to basketball, I, I've seen it multiple times. Play goes, run inbounds, and they stop the clock. No, that, 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 that clock keeps running. All right, so back judges, you have to confirm that clock operator continues to run that game clock when that game clock needs to continue running. That is a huge responsibility, back judges, you have to own. Because if you think about it, umpires, they're talking to linemen nonstop referees they're trying to manage the crew the game the passers wing officials are non-stop communicating with coaches non-stop back judges you have to pay attention to all those small timing details to keep that game going um, final thoughts on, on back judge position all great points and very accurate your back judge is the guy that will keep the game flowing appropriately now, within play-to-play situations, your referee is also needed to con- maintain a consistent pace with the play clock and 
things of that nature. But the game clock, getting in and out of huddles after scores, the back judge has got to remain uber-focused and stay on schedule to keep that game flowing properly. All right, our, our, our extra period question here, um, and I know Nate's not going to be prepared for this because I literally just thought about it, but it goes in connection to our previous podcast last week released about preparation. Um, I know for a fact <clears throat> each season you have seven state championship games to assign. Correct. Okay, and I bet you you have in your mind 30 crews that could work a state championship game. Um, it's impossible to have all 30 crews work that state championship game. What can officials do in August, in July, so they are part of your decision-making, so they are part of your 30, 40 crews that you know they're, I trust this crew to work a state championship football game? The first thing you're going to want to do is obviously prepare uh, not only mentally for the game but physically that you can move appropriately on the field, keep up with the game. You're not lagging behind or chasing the game. You've shown that physically you are capable of maintaining a proper pace throughout the game. And then there's always the subjective conversations about play calling, calling fouls, um, what's your threshold, is it consistent? But then there's also just experience that plays along with that. Uh, So Become the best official you can be across all aspects, comprehensively get into the rule back the rule book, pardon my language there, rule book, understand your mechanics, look the part, then you want to go beyond the mechanics. How do I manage the game? How do I call the game? There's an element of looking the part and enforcing the things that we expect you to enforce both pregame between quarters, halftime, and throughout the game. So it's a comprehensive evaluation when we get out and write evaluations and get our observers out there and start making these decisions to prepare yourself for the biggest game of the year. And in those of you who are returning the podcast, a lot of those words um, should sound very, very familiar. Control the controllables that you could control, be fit, look good, proper mechanics, good communication. Those judgment calls will fall into place if you can control the controllables. Um, Nate, thank you for joining us once again um, with Time Out with PSOA. Those listening to this podcast, you could find previous podcasts and future podcasts on our Facebook channel, on our YouTube um, channel. Just search um, Time Out with PSOA. If you'd like to be a sponsor or future podcast, please reach out to us. We'd love to keep this podcast going uh, for many more episodes, many more years to help transfer the information and education to all people involved in high school youth and college sports. Once again, thank you for taking time out with PSOA and sports officials. Remember, until the next time out, you're only as good as your last call. A Heard at Sports Network production.